Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. We've been, uh, for the past few weeks, talking about fake news, things that God uh, never said or people thought were in the Bible, but they're not. Now, God's Word, the Bible, is different from any other book. It's inspired. It's inspired by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is without error. It is there it's for our teaching, for our instruction. It's uh, there to show us when uh, we're wrong. It's there to correct our ways. It's there to teach us what is right. It's important for us to know what the Word of God says. 2 Timothy 2.15 says that we are to, to, to strive or desire to, to please the Lord in our life and to live in such a way as to rightly divide or handle correctly the Word of God, teaching it correctly. So it's important for us to know what the Bible says. Now, this requires that we know what the Bible says. And it helps for us when we see that, then it'll help us understand what the Bible does not say. Now, some of these sayings we've been talking about are, are misconceptions. Some of them are completely false. Some of them are half-truths. There's an element of truth in them. And some of them are based strictly on traditions, usually religious traditions. And uh, Jesus speaking to the Sadducees, the religious leaders of his day, those that did not believe in the resurrection. Uh, in speaking to them, he said, you are in error. You are in error. You're mistaken because you don't know the Scripture or the power of God. He says, the reason, and this was primarily, of course, focused on resurrection. He's saying, the reason you don't know the truth is because you're believing tradition. You don't know what the Word of God says. You don't know His power. Mark chapter 7, verse 8, Jesus said, you ignore God's laws and you substitute your own traditions. Now, the truth is that even in the church today, we have substituted many traditions of men for the Word of God. Believing that this is what God says when it's actually not in the Word of God itself. It's just what we've always been taught. It's what someone has told us. So why do we think these phrases are actually found in the Bible? Well, first, as we said before, you don't, if you don't know what the Bible is in, then you just believe it. You just believe it. Secondly, uh, we accept them because we've just always heard it. We've always heard it, so it must be in there. And then, of course, the people, sometimes we believe those things because it reinforces what we already believe, our preconceived ideas. Now, we've looked at some of those phantom scriptures we talked about before, cleanliness next to godliness, God helps those who help themselves, God won't put more on you than you can bear. And we've seen the misconception and the false teachings involved in these. And today we are looking at two, well, over the next couple of weeks, uh, this week and next week, we're looking at the saying that God works in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform, and uh, we're looking at the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Anybody ever hear those besides this morning? Yeah. Uh, we often uh, use those, and they are, they're similar. They're kind of related to one another, kind of like first cousins. They're, they're actually connection between the mindset that goes with understanding those two things. God works in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. I, in fact, I read just recently that in a recent, uh, uh, a recent speak, uh, speech by Pope Francis himself, he said that. He said, God works in mysterious ways. So it must be right. 
since Pope said it, right? Well, there's a lot of religious people who've always said, I, I have probably said it over the years myself. And uh, we're going to look at some of the issues faced when we just use that term in the wrong way. Where did that saying come from to begin with? Well, the closest thing we can find in the Bible is in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 15. Because we want to be able to find it in the Bible. So if you're going to say, well, is it in the Bible? Well, the closest thing is in Isaiah 45, 15, where it says, truly you are a God who hides himself. Now, what makes that interesting is in the New Living Translation, for those who, would, those who would want to make an argument that it is in the Bible, if you are a New Living Translation person, which I like the New Living Translation, it says in New Living Translation, same verse says, Truly, O God of Israel, our Savior, you work in mysterious ways. So if you read it from the New Living Translation, then you're okay. That, that phrase is found there. But that is the only place where, where it can be drawn from Scripture, and uh, we'll see that the meaning there uh, that, that is given there is not what we normally use or how it's used today. Uh, actually, this reference in Isaiah is re referring to how God worked through the Persian king Cyrus uh, to actually uh, this outside, this non-believer per se, that the Persian king actually, God used him in a magnificent way to restore uh, Israel and to turn them back the right way. And so we're just seeing, God, this is awesome. This is, uh, uh, we, it's really a strange, unusual way that you would work in this fashion to bring about your redemption uh, or the rescuing of Israel. So very interesting. Now, you also could say it could be drawn from Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. How many of you ever heard this? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, that's in the Scripture, and that's true. I believe that, don't you? I, I believe that God's God, and I'm not. I, I believe that He has an infinite mind, and I have a finite mind. I believe I'm limited in what I can know, and He's unlimited, because He, he is he's sovereign. He's God. So, yes, in that sense... We could say that he's God. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. His ways are beyond our ways. Typically speaking, we could say that's true. People often invoke the scripture, though, to say that they're going through some kind of struggle or suffering in their life, some tough time in their life, and they just simply explain. They say, well, God works in mysterious ways. When actually these verses of Scripture are not talking about that aspect of it at all. It's talking about the amazing, the mysterious, the fascinating aspect of the mercy of God and the mystery of redemption. We know that's what, in the context of Isaiah 55, verse 1, it tells us in verse 1 what it's talking about. It says, come all you who are thirsty, listen and come to me that you may live. So in that aspect, we can understand the, the supernatural, mysterious work of God. The actual phrase itself, God works in mysterious ways, is, can be traced back to, a, 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 to William Cooper. It's spelled C-O-W-P-E-R, but William Cooper from uh, England. This is an English poet, and he wrote many hymns and poems, and... Uh, and actually, he was very significant during his day because he changed the whole 
the, the whole direction of, of poetry and writing and seen as one of the first romantic poets talking about the countryside and life itself. And, of course, he, he lived during the 1700s. Now, he did write hymns, some very powerful, good hymns, but we have to understand there are some aspects going on in his life, too. Sad to say, he was institutionalized for insanity, 1763-65. He recovered, he found some refuge in evangelical Christianity, and he wrote several hymns during that time. Unfortunately, he continued to face bouts of, of fear and discouragement. And he shared, in one writing I saw where he shared a dream he had in 1773 where he saw that he was condemned to eternal punishment. This was a man that was not experiencing the peace of God. And even God worked in his life to write some words that people even sung during that day to hymns. This was not a man that was living at peace with God, unfortunately. Was he a Christian? Was he saved? I, I, you know, evidence seems to say that he, that he was, but he certainly was not experiencing and walking in the truth and the power of God. And in 1774, this is right after he gets out of the institution for insanity, 1774 he writes a hymn that's entitled Light Shining Out of Darkness. And in that poem is the phrase, God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. So essentially that's where it can be traced back and it was used then, repeated over generations until it's become ingrained into our psyche, into our mind uh, and we just use it sometimes rather flippantly. Well, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Now let's look at that just a little bit closer this morning because I think it's important for us to understand some things about it. Why do people say this? Why do they use this term? Well, first of all, I think we can say that there is a legitimate way to use the term. There's a legitimate way to say that God works in mysterious ways. As I mentioned before, He is beyond us. That He is that we are not His equal per se. He's God and we're not. So, number one, it's used to express praise for the greatness of God. In that sense, you can say God works in mysterious ways because in Jeremiah... In Jeremiah, we're told in, uh, that, that Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 6, that there is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in power. There is none like you, O Lord. So with that sense, we can say because of your greatness, God, there is a mysteriousness about much of that, things that we really don't always understand. Sometimes things that seem strange and unusual do happen. And we don't understand it during the process of it. That's true. That's definitely true. People usually bring up the idea of Joseph in the Old Testament. You remember sold into slavery by his brothers and, and then sold into uh, slavery and captivity there and was, uh, was mistreated, was abused, was falsely accused. And, and yet finally, finally God used him to actually uh, to bring a, a means of of salvation or means to feed thousands upon thousands of people and actually to spare or to save his own family, even those that had betrayed him. And then in the reunion of Joseph with his brothers and the, the term that's in there that says, you know, what was meant for what you meant for harm, 
God is used for good. And there, certainly we can see that. We can see that in certain situations in life. Now, was it necessary for Joseph to have gone through this? Was it necessary for, uh, for him to have been sold into slavery, for him to experience all these things? Was it necessary for him to get to that place? Well, we don't know that for sure. We don't know that for sure. We don't know what other things may have transpired. But this seems to be the way that as long as he trusted God, even though there were some things happening that he might not have understood at the moment, as long as he was trusting God and following him, God was going to bring redemption and God was going to bring restoration and God was going to use it for his glory. Even though at that particular time it may not have been, it might have seemed strange and uh, he might have wondered what in the world's going on. There are some rather strange things that happen in the Bible. We know. Naaman uh, in the Old Testament that uh, was, that had leprosy and he came to the prophet there and he wanted to be healed by the prophet and the prophet gave him instructions to go uh, dip seven times in, in the river there and because it was the wrong river and he felt it was beneath his dignity, he was... Uh, uh, he was insulted by that and he was about to refuse his way to being delivered and healed because it was such an unusual. Look at how Jesus healed people at certain times. It seems rather mysterious in our minds. Why would he do that way? The Bible says that God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise and he uses the weak things to confound the strong. There are things that God does differently than what we might have my plan. There are some things that happen in this world that are beyond our pay scale. There are some things that happen in this world that we could term mysterious because of his greatness, because of the awesomeness of God. In that aspect, yes. Yes. God does move in mysterious ways. However, that's not the way it's used most of the time. Most of the time that term is used, uh, that term is used as an explanation as to why people are going through certain things they're going through. Most of the time that explanation is used to essentially blame God for something bad that's happening. When something bad is going on, some person is suffering in particular, something going on in their life, rather than seeing and rather than really understanding what the cause of that is, then because the belief is that, well, since God is sovereign, therefore God controls everything. Therefore, if it happened, it must have been God's will for it to happen, either directly or because God permitted it. And it's that understanding, and I think misunderstanding of what the Scripture says there, that leads people to use this phrase to say, well, you know, there must, uh, there must have been a reason for it or it would not have happened. And God must be doing something in it, and we can't understand what it is. And so, by that, we've got a very difficult thing we're going through. We've got some bad situations around us. Someone we're talking to is facing, uh, maybe they just lost a loved one, or maybe they're they, uh, really going through a, a, some type of disease or struggle or pain, and, and we can just say, well, we do this, I think, meaning well, to try to comfort them. And we just say, well... You know, we don't understand all that's going on right now, but you do remember 
that God works in mysterious ways is wonders to perform. And to me, that's like a slap in the face of God. To actually give people the idea that he has brought this on them to teach them some kind of lesson or he's brought this on them because he's mysterious and you're just not going to figure this out to someday. Now, we pay, well, I know about so-and-so and this is their experience and that's how God used this. Don't use people's experiences to prove the truth. Go to the Word to find the truth. A lot of, a lot of us have experienced things that don't line up with the Word. We can share our experiences and our testimonies and even what God ended up in His mercy and grace doing through it. But don't substitute that for what the Scripture actually says. So, this seemingly harmless statement of God works in mysterious ways is, is wonderful perform becomes an explanation for why bad things are happening. So, what happens? You just kind of accept it. Isn't that right? You just accept it because if God works in mysterious ways, there ain't no reason for you to try to look into it or figure anything out or even find an answer. Just wait and figure it out. Our old hymns used to line up with that. Tempted and tried, we'll all know, we'll all understand. We, you know, it says... Um, We'll understand it better by and by. There's an aspect of truth in that. You will know better when you get to heaven. There's some things that will unfold that will be revealed to you that you'll know perfectly in heaven that you're still trying to figure out right now. You don't know. That's true. But the idea of traditional religion has been there's just stuff going on and mystery and one of these days by and by, in a sweet by and by, then we'll know why all these terrible things happened. As I mentioned, there's an aspect of truth in that. We will come to understand things that were difficult for us to understand in this life. However, we must avoid using that term as a catch-all term to try to explain away reasons for people going through adverse situations by pointing and saying God is doing something through it. Be very careful about that. The third reason that we could say that why people use this phrase is because, uh, and I think probably we've all been kind of guilty of this, is that it's used as an excuse. We use that as an excuse. Since we can't really get a grasp on it, since it's something we're having difficulty understanding, then we sometimes get lazy and we don't pursue the truth. We think, well, it's a mystery, so I just, hey, it's a mystery. You know what? Typically, we understand that mysteries are to be solved, right? And we get the idea that this thing of the mystery of God is out there and we'll never know. We're just kind of in a fog while we're here on earth when that's exactly opposite of what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches that God is a revealer. The Scripture teaches that He wants us to know the truth. He wants us to know His plan. And sometimes we settle in our own ignorance, we settle in our lack 
uh, of studying his word and seeking him, by that we become lazy spiritually and we just let whatever will be, will be, and we just let things go like that. I can't explain it, but things happen. Instead of seeking the Lord, instead of asking the Holy Spirit to open our mind, instead of going to the word and discovering what it really says, there could be a lot of mystery solved if we were willing to put forth the effort. Exclamation point. Good sentence. But, you know, I find that I don't know where you can relate to this, but I can. I, I can find that it is, we face this issue of becoming spiritually, I think spiritually lazy. And when we don't understand something, we just check it off, well, I don't understand it, instead of asking God. What a novel idea. What about asking God? What about going to his word? I mean, God wants to reveal himself. It's like some terrible thing is going on and something happens. And as we mentioned before, you can't explain it. So it's like spiritually, our eyes, uh, our eyes are all glazed and we look up with all and we're religious, with a religious look on our face and we say, well, you know the Lord works in mysterious ways. And we just let it Stay there. When the word is quite clear that our God is not a God of confusion, when the word is quite clear that our God is light and not darkness, when the word is quite clear that he's the God who desires for us to know him and to know his will. I guess my main point through all this was not try to work through the rights or wrongs of making this little statement, but it's just to encourage all of us and give us all a little bit of loving shove and say, look, be diligent about seeking what the Lord, to understand what the Lord is doing in your life. He wants to show you. He wants you to know. He wants you to understand. So very important. So yes, we use it to express praise as Ecclesiastes 1.5 says, as, as, as you don't know the way of the wind, or how bones grow in a womb of her who is with child, so you don't know the works of God who makes everything. Romans eleven thirty three 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? He's God, we're not. So yes, in that sense, the awesomeness of God that aspect of mysteriousness, yes, absolutely. But it's not to be used as an excuse or explanation of things going on in our lives that we don't understand. Understanding mystery. God wants to reveal. Uh, look at just a few verses right quick. We're going to move toward a closing here. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 through 14. The Bible says, For this commandment which I command you this day, it is not to be hidden from you, neither is it afar off. It is not in heaven, neither is it beyond the sea, but the word is very nigh you in your mouth and in your heart, which of course we find this in the New Testament also. The word is nigh you, close to you. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart that you may do it. This is a pointing to say that, that God's word, God's will is not far off that you can't reach it or can't see it, 
but he's made it very close and he's made it, uh, made it where you can be aware of it, where you can experience it. Psalm 103 says, The Lord made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of God. Now, they could have known his ways too, but they, were, they, they were, did not really want to take that step. Moses, you go up, you spend that time with God, you spend all those days before the Lord, the burning bush. You know, we're a little bit uneasy with that. We don't really want to pursue that right now. We'll just hang back here and you find out, you find out, Lord, uh, Moses, we want you to go and, uh, and it's important for you to find out the Lord's ways and and uh, we'll, just, we'll just see his acts, what he wants to do, his actions. Mark chapter 4 says, Jesus said, and he said to them, To you it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now he's talking to believers here, his disciples to his believers. Jesus said, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, these things are given in parables, so that seeing they may, they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand. And we've talked a lot about parables before, so we won't get into that. But the, in essence, he's saying that you are on the inside as my followers, as believers, as that you are here. I want you to know my truth. I want you to reveal, I want to reveal my truth to you. It's for you to know, but those who are on the outside will not be able to understand. They'll not know. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says. That, and to make all see, this is what Paul says, that, that the Lord to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Uh, we find Colossians 2 says essentially the same thing, that the unfolding mystery of the redemption of Christ on the cross. You have to understand that this was a truth that was not grasped in the Old Testament. They had the symbolic truth of it in the temple uh, in the tabernacle, in the temple, of the lamb being slain and offered as a sacrifice. They had the picture of the sal of salvation, the Messiah, uh, and how it would deliver. But they had the picture of that. But it was only through the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it came quite clear that the mystery of God was that even before the foundations of the earth, God had designed a way for man to be redeemed and have fellowship restored with him. Absolutely fascinating when you look at that. And all the time this seems to be mystery and rather concealed in the Old Testament, but it becomes more and more and more visible to us. And we see it clearly in the New Testament as we see Jesus and we see Him demonstrate, teach and demonstrate this kingdom and He brings about the salvation that God has promised to us. It was a mystery that now has become quite clear. That here we thought the Messiah was going to be this, but now the Messiah is this. We thought he was going to be an earthly ruler and king and establish his government here with Israel uh, being the, the primary uh, Jerusalem and Israel being the primary people there. And yet they didn't see the gap there between the coming of Jesus, his death, his, his uh, resurrection. They didn't see the years between that brings us to this point, this year right now, where people are being saved. They didn't see and understand the church age. They didn't understand the ministry, the gospel of Christ. And this was unfolding. And this is what Paul's trying to point out to the church here in many of the epistles that look, this was a mystery before. The church was a mystery before. But now it's becoming clear. Now you can understand what the Lord is doing and how he's working through his church to develop the kingdom. Now, how many of you heard this? This will be the last thing we were able to get to this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 16. Um, probably the main time I've used this has been at funerals. This is, uh, this is kind of one of your graveside 
it's kind of one of your graveside verses here, uh, says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Sound like a mystery? Does to me. That's, that's rather mysterious. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered in the heart of the man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Of course, we point to heaven. And hey, there's an aspect of truth in that, certainly. Heaven is beyond anything you and I could imagine. Absolutely. But we need to go on to the next verses. Actually, that's based upon Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. That's where it's drawn from. It's Old Testament scripture, which, is actually, uh, which actually tells us that, that uh, I have not uh, seen or ear heard how God has worked to bring out his marvelous work in people's lives, the salvation of the Lord. When you move to verse 10 and 11, it says, I not seen, ears not heard, it hasn't entered in our heart. We don't know what God has prepared for us. That's what I'm saying. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. It's a mystery. The, the essence of that verse goes to verse 10 and 11. But God, we don't know. Verse 11, verse 10. But God has, past tense, has revealed them to us by His Spirit. Now we've been saying there's something out future that we don't know about. We don't have a clue about it. And we've been pointing to that as being heaven and the things we'll know in heaven. And as we said, there's a certain element of truth in that. But that's not what this verse is talking about at all. Because it says that these things that eye has not seen and ear has not heard and not entered, those things that have not been able to grasp, now God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. So no man knows the things of God, but God's Spirit knows these things, and God reveals them to us by His Spirit because where does the Spirit dwell? In you and in me. We have His Word and we have his spirit. Verse 14, the natural man does not receive or understand the, the things of the spirit, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So you can have those, you can understand the thoughts of God in that sense. You can understand he'll reveal things about himself. He'll reveal things to you. Things that people think have to be a secret or a mystery don't have to remain that way at all because he's a God of revelation. A secret is a simple fact, maybe a simple fact that I know that you don't know. But that's not, that's not mystical at all. So when the Bible talks about the secrets that God knows, it's not talking about being mysterious at all. I can have a secret that you don't know, and that's not, that's not mysterious. It just means that there's something I know that you don't know yet. You don't know yet. And often that's how the Scripture uses that term. God does do things in secret, secret, but that doesn't mean we cannot know. For God promises that He will do nothing without telling the prophets. In Amos chapter 3, verse 7, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. 
revealed us through his, through his prophets, through his word. God has always shown himself to impart the necessary knowledge and insight for us to understand his will and purpose. What does it take for us to really get a grasp of this? It's not about arguing about theology, nothing about that. God unlocks mysterious truths to those who know him if we're willing to seek him. But here's what it'll take. It takes a changed heart, a renewed heart, that begins to understand that the Lord wants to reveal these things to us. Don't get lost over in the, in the, in the fog of, well, life goes on and these things are happening because God is just mysteriously doing some things. Don't get lost in that fog. You may be able to understand how God is moving in certain situations, but beware of blaming things on God that are actually a result of the sin, of the fall of mankind, of a, of a world system that is warped, that's under the curse, and of the decisions, bad decisions you and I make and the decisions that other people make. We must understand that God does not manipulate this world, world like some great puppeteer that's up here handling and pulling all the strings and everything is happening is God just orchestrating it. That is not how our sovereign God works because he's given authority, he's given dominion, he's, he's given choices to mankind. Yes, there are some sovereign acts of God down through history where he supernaturally moves in kingdoms and in men's lives to bring about his redemptive plan. But ultimately we see that he's given us a great responsibility to believe his word, to trust him, and to walk in it and know that he'll reveal himself and reveal his will to us. So don't get lost in the confusion of thinking that God is out here just being mysterious and trying to keep a secret from you. That's not the God that we know and that we serve. Our God is one, he wants you to know him, and he wants you to know his will. And he will open up your mind and your heart to things. If you're going through a place right now where you don't quite get it, you don't quite understand, you know, then first of all, remember, God's good, the devil's bad. Simple but true. Find out the source of your problem and deal with it. God will help you in it. And then you can learn as a Christian to walk in the light and not in darkness. And you can glorify him in it. You can there's a lot more to say about this, but we'll continue when we talk about everything happens for a reason and what does Romans 8.28 really mean. We'll do that next week. All right, it's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Are you ready for it? Yeah. All right, we won't try to get into the day. Let's stand and uh, thank you, Lord, for your word. Listen, I want to pray uh, just a moment. Take, take a moment to pray for uh, any of you that uh, right now are kind of going through some situations of making some decisions in your life. Uh, it may pertain to uh, uh, work. It may pertain to family. You may be going through some physical issues or situations right now. And you just need clarity. You just need understanding. You just want to get into a place to where you can clearly uh, understand and have revealed to you what the Lord is, is saying to you about that and the pathway to healing and the pathway to answers and knowing His will. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, for peace. And I pray that those who are struggling right now would realize that, God, you're their source of help. Lord, that they don't have to, to stay in this, this place of, of limbo, but, Lord, they can seek you and know that you are their provider, you're their healer. 
Lord, help us, to, help us to see that. Help us to understand it. We thank you, God. We do understand that there's no other one like you. There's none like you. You're God. You're awesome. You're all-powerful. And in that sense, Lord, we don't have total comprehension. You, there is mystery about, that, about the Godhead. There's mystery there. We acknowledge that. We stand in awe. But also, Lord, today we understand that so often we use this, this as an excuse to simply not seek you and seek to know you and understand what's going on in our lives. Help us to clearly understand these things. Help us to follow in a way, Lord, of understanding and light and truth. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody in the house said amen.